Good morning. We are delighted that you have decided to continue your fall with us, not your fall into the depths of and despair of post-camp meeting blues, but rather the fall season that means a refreshed and revitalized campus as students start to trickle in back to our institutions. Some programs have been going on for a couple months. Some other ones are starting here in a couple weeks. We are delighted that we get to continue with you. We're going to do the second to the last lesson study for this quarter, which as you all well know, deals with the book of Ephesians. Joey's back. We're going to hear about his adventures in Micronesia, and we're going to pray and talk about the armor of God. So buckle up and join us for the next 49 minutes as we discuss the epistle to the Ephesians. Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your blessings, your kindness, your compassion, your love, your long-suffering, your mercy, and the majesty that is your name. We pray that you stay with us as we converse. Amen. Micronesia, Joey, what did you bring back for us? Oh, many, many stories of wonderful people. Great. Just great. I love those stories. Yeah, just great people working out there, serving, serving God, and just being able to get, catch a glimpse of how God is moving mm -hmm. out in Guam, um, across Micronesia and the other islands mm -hmm. there. Um, I had no idea the Guam Micronesian mission encompasses a space as, as wide as the continental United States, but it's composed of 70 some odd islands, mm -hmm. all many of which have different government governments, different languages, different um, cultures, different um, currencies, laws, whatever. And the Guam Micronesian mission, which is based in Guam, um, has to somehow um, serve all of them. Mm. And I think there's an Adventist presence on like 23 of the islands there. So there's a lot of work still to be done on those islands. Long Adventist presence. There's a long history of us sending missionaries, particularly college-age missionaries, to those Guam and Micronesia places like Majuro, Ponape, Palau. Um, so it's 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 good that you that you got some sun. You look uh, you look rested. How's <laughs> how's the jet lag? The jet lag is still struggling mm. through it. Speaking about us sending missionaries, it really is the mission field for the NAD, mm -hmm. right? Because the NAD. It is the Guam Micronesia mission is now part of the North American division. Um, and so the I know many Adventist schools send student missionaries mm -hmm. for a year and they're very dependent on those student missionaries coming. And unfortunately, the number of student missionaries has dropped quite a bit. And so students, if there's any college students out there looking for a mission field, I would encourage you to look into doing student missionary work out in the Guam Micronesia mission. Those schools, um, the work that the, that's being done for students out there are only possible when um, student missionaries go. And one of our f colleagues, um, Joelle Royer, um, she was there she was, for a year. She for was a, a, year. a teacher for uh, a year. Chuk. Yeah, so she, she did a good work. They're out still there. trying to recover from that year, but uh, <laughs> that's, and Joelle, by the way, who many of you commented, did a phenomenal job. Uh, who does not re, uh, write Pastor Randy sermons, as you know. Now we have to clarify that again. Uh, well, we're, we're dealing with kind of uh, the, the closing sections of the quarter here. And while you were gone, we just we had we had some interesting conversations both on relational dynamics mm. and uh, how those are lived out in the church. But today we move. Uh, from harmony to, to warfare, uh, and from language that seeks to be uh, pacific and peaceful to kind of language that focuses on this other reality that we are amidst a great controversy. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting shift here, and it almost feels like Paul is changing 
um, how he approaches the Christian life. And yet there is a lot here that um, when we dive deeper into it, like for example, the reality that most of the weaponry or the, um, uh, the, the armament is focused on defense. There's only one offensive weapon, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that later, but it's, it's the, the sword of the spirit, mm-hmm. the word of God. Um, so it'll be interesting as we dive deeper into it. Like, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to be um, battling for God? And yet the, the funny thing is, it's, it's, this lesson was really, really enlightening. Uh, one of my favorite parts is uh, the discussion and the conversation that Dr. McVeigh had on this idea of what it means to stand mm-hmm. and hold ground. How, yeah how central that was. Um, and if you've, if you watched kind of old films that, uh, or films that deal with warfare in ancient times, I should probably say, uh, they do these great scenes. Uh, now it's kind of a, something typical. I was actually talking to, to our colleague Stu Hardy about that, where they, they want to give you a glimpse into how chaotic and frenzied uh, the actual clash and collision of these two forces is and so they'll they'll shoot uh and you'll have these beautiful wide spanning shots from above uh through a drone and what you really get is you get these this picture of just a mass of people colliding and clashing mm-hmm. and giving and receiving blows and it it it's a conflict that i think often if you're not present in it, if you're not actually living and breathing in that chaotic environment, you you fail to to recognize. And I think that's a that's a great analogy uh, to how our conflicts are, particularly our, our conflicts as it pertains to our spiritual life. It takes someone to be immersed in it to actually re- recognize how chaotic and how relentless it sometimes is. Yeah, it's a forceful, violent clash, mm-hmm. right? Like even the sound of it, like when when these two armies meet, mm-hmm. it's like a crash that happens. And the first thing I always think when I watch that is, man, who chooses to be on the front line mm-hmm. of that? You know, it's like how many of those people actually survive in that that first initial clash mm-hmm. but those that first line of defense is so crucial mm-hmm. right because how they respond and how they're able to stand and then the lines behind mm-hmm. them the resilience that they show and their ability to hold their ground and they not not just hold their ground initially but then to push forward is really determines the outcome of the battle that is a crucial if that line breaks then then the war, then the battle's over. Mm-hmm. The other team, the other, um, not team, the other army, army is victorious, yeah. right? Yeah. And we've been watching, you know, you know, football season just started, right? And that, ha- that clash happens in maybe less violent mm-hmm. ways, less, I guess, less bloody ways, hopefully, um, in, the, in the lines between the offensive line and the defensive line. Every single play, there's that clash, that violent mm-hmm. crash that happens. And, who wins that battle ultimately determines who wins mm-hmm. the battle of the of the gridiron of, yeah. the, of football. Yeah. And it's it's about not asking for quarter and not giving any quarter. It's this idea of steadfastness. I think that is that Paul's page here. Uh, this, these ten verses are, are pregnant with. You don't ask and you don't receive quarter. And I I, I was just. It, by the way, the lesson this week did a beautiful job of kind of painting uh, this word image that that you are that you are describing with wood and steel and metal and sometimes cavalry uh, just mm-hmm. colliding and it's just this this cacophony of sound that explodes from from the battlefield and I think as you're for me I think once once you hit um, you. I would assume, and I've never never been in, in battle, but I would assume that training and instinct and fear take over this desire to survive. Uh, for me, always what what is what has always fascinated me is the moments when uh, you hear the call to arms and to charge the field, and you know that the other the other army is charging in. Uh, football analysis, uh, using your football analogy, when you hear 
uh, the quarterback hike the ball and you know that's coming and you know it's going to be painful and you know it's going to be difficult and yet you're still running towards towards the chaos uh, that that is fascinating it's fascinating because it goes against i think our instincts for survival mm-hmm. i think most of us if if placed in that situation would would turn around and run run the other way and yet the battle demands that you have collision and this collision and this encounter and so i'm i'm thinking what is it and perhaps this is why paul has spent the majority of these six chapters talking about how to link a a true body of christ within the church because i think that the only thing that would keep me running towards uh the battle towards the chaos towards the clash and the collision would be to to know that the people that i am responsible for the people around me i am responsible to hold the line in in the allotted section that mm-hmm. i am running in uh not just for my benefit but, but for the benefit of others and perhaps then uh paul's excursus on ecclesiology is attempting to build that same camaraderie camaraderie that is built in basic training or when you're in the barracks that'll give you the capacity to run uh, towards danger, towards collision, towards chaos, and not for your own sake, but for the sake of those around you. Yeah, that that you fight for the men and women mm-hmm. alongside of you, the ones in the trenches with you. That's why you fight and you're willing to put yourself mm-hmm. in harm's way. That's what motivates us. Yeah, because yeah, I often think what motivates those people to be there and it is it seems like it is something that's just greater than self-survival mm-hmm. because if the number one thing was self-survival then it would be to run the opposite yeah. direction that's yeah. that's the way i guarantee i live right mm-hmm. but to be there and to hold fast and to stand your ground but if i'm going to choose to do that i would want every single piece of armor <laughs> available to mm-hmm. me i'd want to make sure i was well protected i mean even in in football you want to make sure that you have all the pads the helmet who would i mean sometimes people get a little bit you know you know a little bit overexcited and they'll take off their helmet but seriously those collisions i would definitely i would never be out there without a helmet right. it's so dangerous right? right um and so yeah, I would want every single piece of armor. And that's sort of Paul's point here is you're going to be in a battle. Um, you may not realize it, but there are spiritual forces aligned all around you. There are principalities and powers seen and unseen in this world that are aligned against you. The only way that you're going to survive, the the best way to survive is to put on the mm. full armor of God. You know, that is so true, Joey. And what I think is often forgotten or maybe not highlighted enough when reading Paul is Paul is is very clear in his in his presentations the idea of who does who does the strength come from mm-hmm. who does grace come from who does your capacity to yearn and dream for for salvation for a better place for the renewing of your heart your mind for a, the recreation for a new beginning Paul spends most of his letters trying to divert our focus on ourselves mm-hmm. and making Jesus the foci of, of his epistles, except in this chapter. In this chapter, Paul fills the chapter as he's talking about this armor that ought to protect you by really using some verbs that are active and that the believer needs to occupy her or himself with. And I think that's so interesting because it is a departure from what we typically hear mm. when we're hearing Paul or when we're reading Paul, uh, in the sense that now it's almost as if he's saying, you've realized all of these things. Epis- uh, the epistle to the Ephesians began with, you are a new creature, right? But now there is some work for you to do. And so you, you're introduced with all these active verbs uh, that you have to now participate in as a combatant in this spiritual battle. That's a great point because I mean, what's interesting is this language of, of of spiritual battle is found throughout the book of Ephesians. It's found throughout, I think um, um, John McVeigh does a great job highlighting how mm-hmm. it's found throughout all of Paul's mm-hmm. writings. Like he, maybe not as detailed as it is here in Ephesians chapter six, but this imagery is found throughout uh, principalities and powers in, in the book of Romans, for example. So 
um, this he has in mind that there is a battle here. And partially, maybe part of the reasons why we don't always put on the armor is that we don't fully grasp the challenge that lies before us. But we can come back to that. But I love what you said about this this um, this idea that we uh, we have a p- role to play in putting on this armor, mm. right? Because it's interesting in Ephesians chapter one, it, it's like Christ has already won, right? Right. It's why are we fighting this? And so you could ask in chapter six, why are we fighting this battle if Christ has already mm. won, right? He's he's already seated on the throne in the heavenly realms where these principalities and powers apparently come from, right? Like he's already ruler over all of them. What role do we have to play to conquer these these principalities and powers if Christ has already won? And it seems like what Paul is saying is, yes, Christ has already won. If you put on this armor, you will win too. Mm-hmm. But you still got to put on the armor. So what does it mean? What does it look like for us to put on this armor? Mm-hmm. What does it put, mean to, to, to gird ourselves with, with truth and to put on the breastplate of righteousness and and the shield of carry the shield of faith and have the sword of you know the helmet of salvation and the sword of 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 the spirit the of god's word what does that look like to to put on the shoes the footwear of of the gospel of peace like Mm -hmm. what does that what it what does how do we armor ourselves every single day because it seems like success depends on us being willing to put on the armor and the weaponry that Christ and God and the Holy Spirit has given to us to wear that will ensure our victory. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it all it all f- depends on what actually is is being fought mm-hmm. uh, for. Uh, so military campaigns, obviously, uh, in most cases, uh, people will fight because there's a certain objective, whether that be more land or more territory, more resources, whatever it may be. Um, I think often we forget that with the uh, when it comes to the uh, battle or this cosmic conflict, that battle is raging on two different realms, and sometimes we oversimplify it. So I think we some clarity probably uh, should be should be afforded. First and foremost, the I think Paul is clear, right? the battle has already been won. Uh, The ultimate uh, destiny of the war has has already been been decided. Um, So now what's actually happening is those principalities, those powers, uh, those realms that are not of flesh and blood that Paul is talking about, what's their primary goal if it's not to win? Well, their primary goal is to inflict as much damage as possible. And it kind of reminds me of, um, I was thinking about this uh, this week, it reminds me of some of the stories that are written uh, by the Allies who are journaling their entrance into now uh, the shift from uh, after the liberation of uh, France. And now you're making your way um, uh, through the Ardennes forest into into German into Germany, and how uh, there was no doubt um, in anyone's mind of the ultimate result that uh, that the war was going to have at that point once uh, the American forces crossed the Ardennes. And um, I think the question that that really was was being asked was. How much pain and suffering are we willing as, you know, as a victorious army to endure? And I think from the other part, uh, the most loyal and fanatical followers of of the regime were attempting to inflict as much damage um, as possible Mm -hmm. with no hope of actually winning. I think that's what's happening here. And so the question is uh, less about the great caught the great cosmic uh end of the battle i think the question is how do i think paul now is really getting into the nitty-gritty and saying how do you avoid being a casualty Mm. how do you avoid being collateral damage of a desperate army that knows the war is lost and now is only invested and interested in causing as much damage and inflicting as much pain as possible. And I think in that sense, 
Paul then shifts it from this very ethereal uh, arena to this very real fleshy uh, space where he says, look, the way that you avoid being a being collateral damage is through these spiritual practices that you do. Um, and I think that's where that's what that's what I find so so riveting about this passage that all of what Paul is asking is this participatory expression in our faith. Mm. And it's it's kind of this process, right, that we follow. He says, put so that you may stand firm. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't spend time, the implication then by, uh, by de facto is, if you don't spend time putting, you're not going to be able to stand firm. Yeah. And so that doesn't have anything to do with my status as, as a new creature or God's victory or the fact that Christ reigns supreme. It is, how do I in a very real sense uh, protect myself from being a casualty uh, in, in this now senseless war? And Paul's answer is spiritual disciplines. Uh, it's participation in, in, in taking responsibility in your own spiritual life so that you may stand firm. Yeah, that's a great point. That, that actually what enables us to stand when the evil day comes, using Paul's mm -hmm. language, right? When the, the day comes when you are, you're, you're going to be attacked and all of us are going to face those days um, if we're not already facing them. What gets us through those days is participating in those mm -hmm. regular practices that, that's, that um, ground us in the gospel, that that surrounds our head with the hope of God's salvation, that that, that is the, the lens or imagery that protects our mind and the ways mm -hmm. that we think, um, that that we have engaged in, in righteousness or righteous living, that, that ethical, um, that we, we are in God's word, right? Um, like these practices that we engage in on a daily or weekly rhythm of our lives, those are the things that prepare us. And... It's, you know, I was just having a baptismal study today um, about the importance of, of practices and actually creating like a rule of life, mm -hmm. right? Having a pattern of habits that help us to grow in our love for God and love for other people and prepare us for challenges that come and, and build that kind of resilience within us. Um, and uh, what, what's interesting about these things is many of them, on their face value, look so small. Mm -hmm. They look like, oh, so I read like a chapter of, of scripture a day, or I, I, w I wake up in the morning and, and morning and noon and, and evening, I just take some time to pray to God and, you know, for, you know, a few minutes or whatever. That doesn't seem like a lot. And yet, um, those small habits over long periods of time mm -hmm. have a tremendous impact. Right. I mean, anybody who's a dentist will tell you that going to a dentist two or three times a year ha and them doing those massive cleanings of our mouths really will only be beneficial to us if we do the daily practice of brushing our teeth mm -hmm. and flossing. Doesn't seem like a big deal. But over the course of your life, it determines how many teeth you're going to keep right. in the long run. Right. It determines the quality of your life in the long run. Um, same thing with, and, and I, I love how James clear, he's not, he's not, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but in his book, Atomic Habits, he mm -hmm. talks about this idea that it's so easy to underestimate the impact of small choices mm -hmm. repeated every single day. Those small choices repeated every single day eventually lead up to the sum of our lives. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm in the writing phase of my, uh, doctoral program, you finished, but Nobody sits down and in one day completes, completes mm. a dissertation, right? Nobody does that or a project. Nobody does that. It's little steps over long periods of time that get you there. Mm -hmm. And if you think from the very beginning, I have to write a 250, 300-page paper, it's overwhelming. But if you think maybe a page a day, mm -hmm. page a day, page or two a day, that is a, a lot easier. Mm. And those are steps that we can take. And at the end of it, you're done with your project. So there is there is this idea of little steps over long periods of time that have such such mm. a profound impact. And the same is true in the spiritual reality too. And that seems to be what you're talking about, what Paul is talking about here, engage in these practices that build our faith over the long 
long term. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I think that's, I, by the way, Linda and I just finished uh, Atomic Habits. Mm. We we're reading it together. And we were, you know, we complain a lot about busyness and how busy we are. And then we, we just thought, man, would it make a difference waking 15 minutes earlier? Mm. Um, and in, in the sum of, of your life, 15 minutes is nothing. But when you look at it, um, and you start you start to do this this wonderful compounding interest of mm-hmm. uh, which which little tiny habits kind of in the same way as 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 with the market little tiny habits have these these compounding interests and I think it is these little tiny habits it is in these easy simple everyday practices that we start to build character and mm-hmm. really this is what Paul is talking about in in Ephesians six. Um, we call it the the um, chapter, the passage of the armor of God, and we've ever we've all either preached a sermon or seen a, a wonderful little uh, children's story with where the kids put on the literal armors. But I think it has to do. Paul is really interested and invested in this idea of character development, and the question is, well, how do you develop character? Well, you you're truthful. Uh, starting with the first thing he says, right? Put on the belt of truth. Mm. Well, everybody can be truthful when when it's convenient, mm. but if you make a practice in your life of being honest and mm. and actually allowing yourself the discomfort uh, that comes with being honest, um, sometimes, it, then when it when it when it really comes to an important decision. Uh, chances are you'll have that muscle memory, that uh, mm. spiritual muscle memory that allows you, that allows I think for that to be your your default setting, as opposed to you having to kind of think about it. And ultimately, I think this is why uh, the the language uh, works and uh, the the analogy that Paul uses of. Uh, military warfare and soldiers work so well because as you know in the Roman world what really made Rome different wasn't that they had the biggest army it was that the the Roman legions were by far the most disciplined uh, fighting force that that the world has ever seen Mm. ever seen Um, you can compare the the level of training, sophistication, and discipline that Romans legion the Roman legions have with any special forces uh, army unit today, and I would actually and I, I have I'm not making this hypothesis on my own. I, there's several historians that make it. I would actually venture to say that Rome. Uh, the training was, was more intense because it started way earlier. And the idea was, how are we going to get you to fight as a unit in different uh, areas of the world, in different environments, with different weather, uh, stuff that we cannot even predict? How is it that you that the same army can fight uh, people in sub-Saharan Africa? And then go uh, go to Britain and go to Western Europe with the cold and and the the rugged terrain and still be successful. And that was a testament to their preparation that started mm. very young. So that when the battle came, you yeah. were where you were. There was never panic. You were always ready, always willing to fight as a unit. Yeah, that importance of the training. For battle mm-hmm. and it's something that we neglect often when it comes to our our spiritual preparation mm. right we almost expect god to step in in the moments of of challenge and just mm-hmm. overwhelm and you know the difference between what we're talking about with training for the legions or w- w- for sports or whatnot and christian training is these spiritual practices are effective not just because of little choices over long periods of time, but because of what God does right. with our little choices over long period. And Paul is very clear about that, right? We are being strengthened in the Lord, mm-hmm. right? It's it's God who who gives us strength. And so I, I loved how um, how John McVeigh pointed back to the Old Testament passages, mm-hmm. right? Um, of of um, Joshua, Joshua and the Israelites 
facing this overwhelming task of right. con conquering the promised land and he his first thing is be um is be strong and courageous right be strong and courageous so this idea of strength but that strength as as you, as you see throughout the stories in in Joshua is that that strength comes from God and not mm -hmm. from ourselves so these these practices are effective because God partners with us in those practices to grow this the yeah. strength in us right yeah. it's not just us but but it's god it's very clear that god doesn't want us to just access that power in moments of need mm -hmm. but throughout our lives to build that to allow ourselves mm -hmm. to build that faith and dependence in god over long periods of time mm -hmm. that is when that is so that when the evil day does come we are able to stand yeah. and i think that's why uh the this idea um, whether it be with uh, the spiritual practices or um, this this notion of a rule of life, uh, I think whatever you want to call it, the purpose of these this kind of rediscovery of of life being lived in a certain way, primarily now by the Protestant world, is so that uh, we actually realize that the purpose isn't just to create, as you're saying, some behaviors. Mm. Um, and there's a bunch of other programs, I think, that, that can elicit certain behaviors. Um, I think the difference with this is that uh, the type of practices that you, are, that you are describing not only require partnership with God, but they require a deep level of introspection. So mm -hmm. you actually have to take some time and determine if these values that Paul uh, is describing here align with your particular values, your mm -hmm. core beliefs, who you want to be at your core. So he talks about, right, he talks about uh, truth. He talks about living mm -hmm. uh, righteously. He talks about always being ready uh, with the good news of his the feet always being and i love that imagery yeah. right his feet are the feet always ready with the good news of peace mm. um and the shield of faith and then he talks obviously of the sword of the spirit which is the word of god are all of these core values right righteousness peace uh truthfulness are they in line with the person that you want to be? And that, mm. I think, does require some introspection. Mm. Uh, the gospel, sadly, isn't for everyone. Mm. There are people for whom these values just don't jive with the kind of person or the kind of character formation that the individual is desiring to become. And in that case, I think it's important that we decide very early on is this for us are these core values these core behaviors these core practices if i'm take if i'm being introspective are they meaningful to me and do they align with the person i want to become because if not it's probably more beneficial for the body of christ uh for the football team if you're playing on an offensive line or for an army uh, unit, if you're if you're going to battle, to raise your hand and say, "Look, in all honesty, I'm not sold into this. I'm just wanting to let you guys know." So it's not just the practices and the partnership; it's also uh, the kind of creating a rhythm of introspection in your life, where you're analyzing what are these values that, and what are that I that I that will drive me and will form me into the person I want to become and do those values then align with my with with my practices and if not do I have a uh, do I need a value realignment or do I need a realignment with my practices when you say you raise your hand and say that you're you're not really willing to be a part of this team I think of um, Gideon and the army that's whittled down to mm -hmm. 300 right it's um, partially to show that God is God is the one who gives victory in that battle, but also because those 300 could be trusted mm -hmm. to stand facing 
100,000 Midianites and with just 300 and still be willing to go into battle, right? There is something about them that God knew that they would trust, they would have faith. And those are people that whose values aligned with. So that that is really powerful. You know, just, just on a side note with this whole gospel of peace, I love the imagery, like you said, it, it has that reflection of like Isaiah, right? Um, beautiful are the feet who bring mm-hmm. good news, right? Um, this idea of gospel being good news, like that that this, it's weird to think of a soldier as the bringer of good mm-hmm. news. That imagery doesn't jive because when a soldier is coming at me, I'm not thinking that's good news. Mm-hmm. Yet yet that is that is the difference between a soldier of God than, than um, a soldier of war, right? Is that the soldier of God is a bringer of good mm-hmm. news. They're actually, their feet are um, girded with this this um, gospel of peace mm. and part of what it means, one of the values that undergirds us as Christians and actually one of the things that strengthens us is that we are to be bearers of good news. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to bring hope and light and joy and peace to the world around us. That is our role. And I, th- I think that's a beautiful imagery that Paul kind of yeah. slips in here. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's wonderfully said. You know, I wasn't thinking about Gideon, but that's a wonderful connection. I was thinking in terms of a of a football team, mm-hmm. and you know how uh, you were talking earlier on, and I guess that's what got me. Uh, your comments on on football got me kind of going down this this pathway. You're right. Uh, offensive lines, uh, they probably. I mean, if I were to ask. Uh, for people to give me uh, the offensive line, every member of the offensive line of your particular team, the mm. team that you follow. If you're if you're like an obsessive fan, then you probably know. Um, if you're not, then you you know the quarterback and you know the receivers, uh, you know the linebackers or the edge rushers. You don't really know the offensive line, mm. and yet. If I'm a if I'm a coach, uh, the first person and the first people, the first group of people that I need ready to play, play as a unit, and play um, and and be honest with where they stand and uh, with their preparation, their uh, study of the game plan, the game plan, et cetera, et cetera, is my offensive line. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't have if they don't come ready to play, yeah. people are gonna get hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, as we were talking about football, I just said, man, that is so similar. Uh, if you're if you're actually buying into this thesis, which is Paul's not arguing here about the resolution of the great cosmic battle. That's already been decided. Paul's actually talking about how to mitigate uh, the horrors of the battle. How to how to avoid being collateral damage or how to avoid causing collateral damage. Mm. And I think wow. so often because we because our values and our behaviors don't align, uh, and Pastor Joel talked about this yes, uh, last week, so we won't belabor the point, but because our values and our behaviors don't align and we don't come ready to play, we don't say, hey, I am going to be committed to truth and to peace, and to the gospel, and to the word of God, people get hurt. And I think that's why, beyond everything else, I, I think that's why uh, we as, as Christians within this conflict, at least in our, uh, in our encampment, we need to be very intentional about creating a culture of transparency within our rule of life. I, I hope that authenticity and transparency are always at the forefront. And some of and, and we create a culture where it's okay to say, hey, today, just now, uh, my life and my behaviors and my values are not a, are not in alignment. And I mm-hmm. just need I need you as a community to know that mm-hmm. because I don't want people to get hurt. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You know, that's, that's, I love how you took this imagery one step further and saying that actually not doing this preparation can make you a soldier for the other side. Mm. 
like you could actually cause damage even as someone who says they follow christ mm -hmm. that we could actually cause damage and other, um, collateral damage mm -hmm. collateral yeah loss for the other side that's just wow that imagery is strong and i think part of the reason why we don't always engage in this um and engage in these regular practices is i don't know about you but i'm not always conscious of the supernatural mm -hmm. the invisible battle happening all around mm -hmm. me um, i remember as a young pastor reading a book called working the angles by eugene peterson mm -hmm. where he talked about ministry that that a lot of times we think of he used the imagery of a triangle we think of ministry as as the work that we accomplish the lines right and yet it's the angles that holds the lines together mm -hmm. and that we should actually focus on those angles and he had specific angles but they had to do with these spiritual practices that we engage in to make sure that our relationship with god is strong and healthy um and the quote that was often used was martin luther you know saying that famous quote that um i'm so busy that if i didn't pray for three hours each day i wouldn't be able to get through mm -hmm. right and you know that that sounded so inspiring to me as a young pastor but i i struggled with the reality of that because three hours three hours in prayer each more each day i mean i don't ha i don't have time for that like there's some sermon writing bible studies visitations like all these things that i have to do like who has the time for for that i struggle with that you know as a young pastor for many many years um it, it wasn't until as i as i got older and as i as i engaged in this practice more that I discovered the truth of what he was saying. And what he was saying is, when we have a life that is aligned with God, aligned with the values of God, when we have a life, when we're engaging in these spiritual practice, practices that God can, 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 is moving in our lives, we are able to have access to more than what is available on our own. Mm. I can write a good sermon on my own right i can i can do that there's people who are unconverted that can write great speeches that are inspiring to people people can do that and yet there is something different when when you take that time to make sure that you are aligned with god that that sermon becomes more than even the sum of the words that you have written on paper that god is able to do something even when my words are not perfect that god is able to work in people's lives in a powerful way and and the same thing with um when i'm entering into difficult conversations the wisdom that god can provide the the peace that he can provide in my hearts my heart the resilience that he gives me actually makes my work for lack of a better term more efficient mm. more effective right that i began to see the truth of of what martin luther was saying what eugene peterson was saying that that there is so much work to be done that humanly there's no way for me to finish it but with god i can mm. right and not only just not only finish it but understand what maybe needs mm. to be finished and what doesn't need to be finished right that wisdom is is given there and so the importance of engaging in, in these practices um and being more aware that that i am not only this is not a a, a battle of just self-growth self-effectiveness self-efficiency that there is a larger battle going mm. on and the only way that i'm getting through is if i trust in god and engage in these practices that allow me to allow him to work in my life yeah and that i think brings us back full circle and so you know i'll just say two things on on what you just said because i think it's it's so central to understand not just paul but to understand people like uh, uh a Eugene, uh, a Eugene Peterson, a Dallas Willard, um, a Richard Foster, a Thomas Merton, these people that are really giants of, uh, of a, in asking this question, uh, what is the purpose of Christian life? Mm -hmm. Not just ministry, um, but what is, what is the purpose of our existence? And 
foster, I think, for me really was helpful uh, in, in saying that the purpose of, of our lives is to find ways in which our behaviors and our priorities can be aligned to the behave with the behaviors and the priorities that God has for mm-hmm. us. Uh, and so I need to know what those are first before I do anything else. So before I jump into battle, I need to know what the objective is. Um, it's really not helpful if I lead uh, a unit into into battle without knowing what what objective we have. So for me, the objective now is how do I align my values and my heart with the heart of God? How mm-hmm. do I become? How do I allow God's priorities to become my priorities? And that piece hasn't always been clear. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been clear because we've believed that the way in which we do that is uh, we we need to be successful. And mm-hmm. successful often ha- success often is measured by how many people hear my message or how many people uh, are brought uh, to the feet of Jesus because of me or through my efforts. The reality is God doesn't need my efforts in order to bring people to him. The gospel is that compelling that mm. if we don't speak it, uh, we'll hear the gospel from really, really weird and uh, and sometimes shocking spaces. The rocks will cry out. <laughs> the rocks or, or, you know, the pop singer out there on the street or the, you know, the actor who is asking, is there more uh, to life than, than, what I'm ex- than what I'm experiencing? I mean, I think... Uh, lately, just to, to quote an example, uh, Jim Carrey, a famous, famous Hollywood actor, has had, I think, a, a real spiritual awakening as he is asking the questions, well, what is really the purpose of life? And um, the amount of people that have actually shared in kind of these existential questions has been, has been astonishing. So really, uh, God doesn't need me. And I think we're often mistaken in in assessing our our own talent and ability Um, god doesn't need us we need god and because we need god the question then becomes uh, again how do i link my life to the life that god already has envisioned for me as Mm -hmm. as his child and I think the way you do that is is through spiritual practices. I think that's the purpose of spiritual practice. Spiritual practices represent the pathway where your values align with God's values. So I think that's the first thing. You have to ask the question, what is my objective? And as young pastors, often we think that our objective is to revolutionize the church or to baptize a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my first three years of solo ministry I, we must have baptized 500 people and i thought i was successful and i was um i wasn't i wasn't because it was all about uh efficiency mm. and um i think god god doesn't want efficiency or efficacy god wants depth uh so that's i think the first thing the second thing is often i think we don't we don't have these difficult conversations because we haven't been able to create an environment of transparency. And I can think of not, of nothing more noxious to a spiritual body than uh, lack of transparency. To me, mm. that is that is the cyanide pill uh, for for religious bodies for uh, for people who talk about spirituality. And I think we we don't develop a culture of transparency often because we don't realize where the enemy actually lies. Um, We say that we are here within the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, but really I think we we more often than not think that the enemy lies within the walls of the church rather than out there. And Mm if I am called to do life with my enemies, uh, then, well then sadly, transparency is the first thing that's gonna go out the window. So I wonder, what it would look like if if we started a to define our objectives differently vis-a-vis how do i align myself with what god prioritizes and what god desires for me and b how do i stop looking at people around me uh, as as potential enemies 
Mm. That's going to require vulnerability and it's going to require a lot of risk. But I think it's impossible uh, to move in the direction that Paul would have the not only the Ephesian church, but the Christian church move. So those are just some thoughts that uh, that kind of crept into my mind as you were talking. Yeah, it's powerful. And it's powerful what, what Paul is saying here, that ultimately that that alignment, that growth, that to becoming who God, who God is, is going to form us to be. Um, it comes through small steps, mm-hmm. doable steps. I mean, this is anybody can engage mm-hmm. in this. Children can engage mm-hmm. in this. And yet God will bless that with his, his effort. Mm-hmm. And that gives us strength, resilience for the long term. Um, the last story I'd like to end with is just you know, there's this moment when David, he's he's in the wrong country because he's running away from Saul. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's fighting with the Philistines. He brought a whole community of people with their families, his, his men of war with him. And they go off to battle. <clears throat> and while they're gone, their hometown of Ziklag is attacked and raided. And they come back. And there's just this scene where they're weeping until they have no more tears to weep. And then the men turn on David and they want to stone him. And I can't imagine a moment when a leader would feel more alone than when these these men who have followed you through war, followed you out of their own country, and you've not only lost your your actual family with your wives and your kids, but now these men are turning against you. And then in um, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse, I think it was one, it says, but straight, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And that's the same imagery mm-hmm. here. It's saying he went back and he relied on on this and it would uh, and it became a turning point not just for him but for his whole community where they rescued their families and then they they finally got back to the land that they were supposed to yeah. be dwelling in the first place and it's just it's just a powerful turning point and that's what's possible like when we face overwhelming odds god is saying these are the little steps that you can do to overcome. Yeah, those, those little steps make a difference, don't they? Joey, pray with us as we, as we conclude here. Yes, let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you for being a God of our, for our strength, a God who provides, who God, who has already overcome. Um, and now you're showing us the way and you say, just engage in these practices. So Lord, help us to be faithful even though they look small, even though we may feel like they're not making that much difference in the moment, even when there's other things that threaten to fill up our times, help us to make space for these small practices on a regular basis that allow you to form us into your people is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So we don't know if you are at peace or if in your life at this particular moment, war is raging What we can tell you is just stand firm. You don't have to go forward. Maybe you're tired. Just stand firm. We're standing with you. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. 